Opinions expressed on ACB Radio are those of the respective program contributors and cannot be assumed to serve as endorsements of products or views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. This is Sunday Edition with Anthony, a news magazine show featuring human interest, in the spotlight, movers and shakers, and the news and happening that affect all of us in and out of the ACB community. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Sunday Edition. I'm your host, Anthony Corona. I am here as always with my engineer extraordinaire, Byron Lee. Byron, thank you as always for being so cool and running such a tight ship. Anything, um, anything going on with AC with ACB Next Generation you want to tell us about? Oh man, well we're always planning something new. Um, so we have a monthly event called Saturday Night Live. And uh, we're currently in the planning stages for the March event, which will happen on the last Saturday of March. Um, and this month, we're going to be talking about sports of all sorts. So uh, one of the confirmed guests that will definitely be there will be Chris Peterson, who is um, the president of the Minneapolis Audio Darts League. And um, so uh, he's going to be talking about these awesome audio darts that talk when you throw darts at them. I mean, I know it's counterintuitive, blind people throwing darts, but we do it every Tuesday, um, starting uh, probably in April or something. So providing that COVID is not going to prevent us from playing this year, we'll be throwing darts at the talking dartboard um, uh, again this year. So Chris will be there to talk about that. And uh, we might also have somebody on to talk about beep baseball. So we hope to see you guys there. Nice. And um, what are you doing on Fun Zone tonight? So I do a comedy show where I play comedy music every week. And um, this week we're doing a random grab bag. Last week we did British humor. So if you want to hear that episode, you can check it out on my website, which is byronlee.com. Awesome, awesome, awesome. And I want to send a quick reminder out to everybody. If you did not get your Hill Visit forms in from our virtual Leadership Week, please submit them as soon as possible. And I know that some affiliates are still holding meetings due to the nature of things. So good luck to all of you guys who still have meetings out there. Um, and I also wanted to wish Lynn Bailey Page some great and enthusiastic congratulations um she's a friend and a friend to sunday edition and uh, i'm sure you guys have seen the announcement uh, of the position that she took with audio description and grant writing um jolene awesome 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 congratulations so today we are continuing our conversation losing sight midlife uh tyson ernst is back hey tyson hey anthony how are you today and Byron. And Tom Babcock is back with us as well. Hey, Tom. Hello, everybody. Hi, Tyson. Hey, Tom. And I am very pleased to introduce to those of you who may not know her, um, and many of you who do know her, I'm very pleased. Sila Miller, welcome to Sunday Edition. Thank you so much. Happy Sunday, everybody. Glad to be here. <laughs> so let's take a few minutes and get to know Sila before we jump into the topic at hand. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself. I know you're in Northern Florida. 
um, are you a lifelong Floridian? And, and um, yeah, let us get to know you a little. Well, I am a lifelong Floridian. I grew up in a little place called Wentztown, which is in North, Northwest Florida. I went to school in St. Augustine, Florida School for the Deaf and Blind. They call me a lifer because it was K through 12. They didn't have any kind of special education services in Calhoun County, Florida. And then I moved, got married and moved to Tallahassee, so in the capital. And uh, we live in an old tri-level house that's on top of a hill. So it's our mountain, if you will. But I love Florida despite the allergies. So, yep. Yeah. <clears throat> pollen, pollen getting you right now? For sure. Everything is yellow or green or a combination of that. I have never had allergies before. Um, but as I was saying before we came on air, this week is a year that I am in Florida full time and um, I suddenly have allergies. So <laughs> this is a new and exciting experience. So tell the folks, tell the folks what you do um, and um, a little bit about conflict resolution. Well, I work for the Division of Blind Services. Um, at the, at the end of February, or I'm sorry, at the end of January was my second year of employment with the Department of Education. And I receive calls from people, everything from asking questions about service to um, I'm upset with how my case is being handled to I need to get someone else's take on it to I wanna file a lawsuit. So I'm there and hope to help, um, you know, facilitate communication and uh, understanding and interaction. So we've been having some conversations here on Sunday edition. And one of the things that we've been really focused on is the grieving process. Um, you know, a lot of people, you know, there's a lot of the aging population that are aging into vision loss. There's, you know, people that have been dealing with it, you know, their whole life. And then there's there's folks like us, Tyson, Tom, myself, where we lose it midlife and we lose it suddenly and, and our whole world is upended. What, um, <clears throat> what do you tell people about the grieving process when you're first getting to know someone in, in this kind of setting? I try to find out where they are first, you know, I mean, are they angry? Are they still disbelieving? Do they think that surgery is going to help and I'm going to magically get my driver's license back or, you know, there's so many stages. And so I try to meet them where they are and figure out what, what it is that they need from me. Um, so depending on the process, you know, um, if they're angry, I mean, I just, you know, go along and say, yeah, it's this, this is, an ugly situation. I'm not going to say it's not. Um, the real challenge for me is trying to, you know, not not be one of those people. Oh, you can do it. It'll be just fine. Because yes, the truth is you can do it. But depending on where you are, you don't really need to hear that just yet. You might want someone to cry with you and say, "I hate this loss. It feels like my arm's been cut off." You know. Um, so I really try to meet people where they are and figure out where how how best to proceed ahead. And I, I, this is a good time. I should definitely make the disclaimer that you're coming here as an ACB member um, based upon your professional experience, but you're not talking for, you know, the, the Florida Division of, of um, Blind Services. 
or any other entity. So, but I am so happy that um, that you decided to talk with us. You are a very positive person. You are constantly giving us great information. So I thought, who better to who better to come to to try to put together a way for for us to have a check have a checklist, so to speak, in our own minds. And it's not one like, okay, do this, do this, do this. But how to how to figure out for ourselves what we need, when we need it, how to kind of gauge what we're doing, and you know, and how to move forward. Um, and for each of us, it's been different. I know Tom, you know. Tom was talking to us about having, you know, to reevaluate his whole exercise routine and how he was going to continue to to be able to work in that vein, you know, and 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 still be safe. For me, it was I had to keep moving. Period. You know, any any downtime, any any thinking about I, you know, even if can I do this how can I do this would put me in a state of, of panic. So I just kept moving. And Tyson, Tyson, you told us, you know, a little bit about your experience as well. And, and luckily there were services that you, um, that you knew of and, and that helped point you in the right direction. So Sila, when, um, when you encounter someone like us, what is, what is the first thing, you know, that you're looking for, as you know, to get, to get them on their path, to get them going? I first try to get them to open up a little bit and establish a bit of a, at least a working relationship in the beginning and, um, you know, figure out what it is that they like, where they're coming from, what their interests are, what they see themselves doing if they're to that, pro, you know, if they're to that stage. Uh, and then depending on what they tell me, um, the resources that we have, you know, we can kind of get them set up with that. Um, if it's cooking they like, you know, we'll start with the beginning steps, you know, learning how to be safe in the kitchen without sight. Uh, if it's, you know, like, um, it, if it's uh, recording or um, that type of thing, we'll figure out how to get them connected with adaptive equipment that can help people do that that can't use the mouse or can't see the screen anymore. Um, and just try to figure out, you know, t tell people that there's more than one way to do things and that, you know, when they're ready to hear it, loss of sight is not loss of enjoyment of life and quality of life. Well, it, it, it warms my heart. We, we heard from Byron when we first got on. Uh, he's going to be talking about adaptive sports with Next Generation towards the end of the month. It warms my heart how much, you know, how much there is available to us and, and Thank God for technology. You know, I often think if this happened to me in, in the 50s, 60s, or 70s, I, I don't know what I would have done. Um, I can't imagine life without my iPhone. How, how important is it for folks to, to get to technology early on? In my opinion, it is extraordinarily important. Um, but, in, and Tom may be able to speak to this a little more, you know, a lot of times seniors are not in that stage. I, you see more of the technology stuff with, with younger folks. And you see some seniors who are willing to, you know, embrace the technology field. But the sooner, the, you know, like the, one of the first questions I ask a lot of people, are you able to touch type or do you look at what you're doing? And that's the beginning, in my opinion. You know, you've got to be able to 
learn to touch type if you're going to do technology with any proficiency whatsoever. So I um, think that's a, a a wonderful, pretty pretty first step, you know. Yeah, and I like to remind folks in our community, you know, sometimes we can be a little judgmental. Um, we never know what stage someone is at, especially on social media. You know, you'll get those postings that are a little rambling. They don't have the right or any punctuation. Um, and sometimes, you know, some of us will kind of hop on that and, and try to uh, try to guide not so gently sometimes and, and often, you know, harshly. And, you know, and I try to remind everybody, we never know where anyone is coming from. English can be a second language. They could have just lost their sight, you know, weeks ago. So, you know, give everybody the opportunity. And, and hey, you know, if you can't read the post, either hit the whole word for word thing using, you know, using your rotor or just, you know, swipe past it. You don't have to. You don't have to comment on every post. But I know how daunting it could be. Tom, do you want to tell us a little bit about, you know, when you were first discovering technology after you started losing your sight? Um, yes. Um, well, again, let's, uh, when I lost my sight, the anger came in. And, uh, but I was uh, kind of lucky. I think I was a little bit more lucky. I don't want to say lucky, but in my career, in my job, I've always used uh, a computer. Uh, Windows-based uh, PC. I had an iPhone before I lost my sight, so I was real familiar with it, but when I lost my sight, it's like I felt totally lost all over again. Um, but I was lucky enough to get into a school right away, and uh, they were really technology-based. Uh, get, an, get another iPhone, and uh, get get into some computer classes and training and uh i think that really kind of jump start my uh journey through this um i was a little apprehensive at first but once i settled into it i'm i'm getting better on my on my on my laptop i'm getting better i know i have issues i'm still technically challenged but uh a little training here and there is always good and uh I even signed up for more training at Lighthouse of Central Florida for some more uh, technology training for uh, in the next month or two. I think I'm going to start. Um, but yeah, it was it was it was a little I was a little apprehensive, and then I was glad it they kind of just settled me into it and handed me the iPhone and got me into computer classes, and it really worked well for me. But the anger, uh, yeah, is still sometimes there, still there. Did you did you find the anger to be a barrier to actually, um, you know, immersing and and getting the the information to to you know sink in and be fluidly to use? Uh, you know, at first, did you find that the anger was a barrier to learning and 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 really moving forward? It was. It was like it, it was stopping me, and I've I've really uh, never been a real angry person until this happened and i just had to realize and get myself back down to earth and say look this this is a barrier and you don't need that you need you know you we need to jump over that barrier we need to get going and get back to a little bit more independence and uh that helped that worked 
and uh, you move forward a little slowly, but I, I had to learn basically to slow down. Well, and I can, I can imagine that it's a vicious cycle because like you, I'm not a very angry person, but if I have a day that I feel angry, I'm, I'm angry at myself for feeling angry and then I'm disappointed yes. and I'm exactly. like, why yes. can't you get out of this cycle? Yes. So, yeah. And I had, to, yeah. I had to basically, and I also had to remind myself, okay, you're angry because you've lost your sight. Don't take it out on everybody else. Yeah. You know, I, I actually didn't have the anger early on. Um, there were some surgeries, eye injections, things that, that we were trying. And, you know, I, I heard what they were telling me. This, it's a very slim chance that this will halt the progress or this will give you a little bit back. We did cataract surgery to see if, um, you know, if some of the light coming through would, um, you know, would give me a little bit more vision, things like that. But I, you know, I heard them it went into my brain and I processed what they were saying, but then my heart took over and, you know, each, each of those surgeries became, you know, the next possible miracle. And the anger for me really didn't set in until, until well into the process, you know, when I started to just slow down, you know, I immediately, okay, I need to learn how to use this cane. I need to figure out how to get a dog. I need to know how to cook. You know, I need to know how to adapt what, you know, what I know as a sighted person to cooking and using my Mac and things like that. Um, and when I started, you know, once I was well into O&M training and, and I had done some of the, some of the initial stuff and started to have more time, that's when, I, you know, I found myself brooding and, and, just like, you know, just like you, I, I really had to, to make an effort not to take it out on other people. You know, the things, the questions that we all get and the, you know, the little pats and everything's going to be okay. And I used to, I used to say, if one more person tells me, God only gives you what you can handle. I'm going exactly. to go postal, you know, like God, yes. you've given me yes. everything I can handle. Please don't give me anything else for a very long time. Very mm -hmm. true. Very true. I but then we, we have, oh, go ahead, Tom. Uh, I just, I was just going to say, I think we all sit there and go, okay, God, I think I have enough right now. Uh, can I, you know, can you give me a little break? Let me move on a little bit until the next issue or, uh, but yeah, I agree with you. And then we have, you know, the other side of, of the coin and, <clears throat> oh, excuse me. We never stop learning, but at some point, I think we all, or most of us get the desire to, you know, to pay it forward or to, you know, give back. And that brings me, it brings me perfectly to saying hello to Tyson because Tyson is all over ACB. He is um, working with ACB radio. He is giving magic Mac classes. So when Tyson for you, did it, did it become, you know, the pupil is now, you know, is now the teacher. Well, that particular, uh, that particular facet was kind of always there. Um, before I lost my sight, I was a teacher. I'd been a teacher for 20 years. Uh, and so it was just a matter of that instinct is always within me is to learn it. I have to be able to teach it. If I can't teach it or if I teach it, I have to know it. So it, it's kind of a cycle there as well. Um, that was just a matter of learning it and, and, and figuring out how it worked uh, and then turning around and helping other students. Like I didn't go to any type of a rehabilitation for, for close to a year because I wasn't ready to go. Um, and then once I got in there, I met some people who, 
you know, I understood things very quickly and was able to take and, and kind of work with those ones who didn't. And, and that kind of re reinitialized that teaching bug that I had. And that same thing oh. happened to me when I was, when I was at the veterans administration as well. You know, I met a lot of, I met a lot of interesting people in there and, um, you know, uh, I, I do have to correct you on one thing though. Like I didn't, I didn't have resources available to me immediately. It took, it took time to get those. And cause I had no idea where to go. The people that when I first, when I first, uh, you know, was going through sight loss and the realization of it and, and the coming to grips with it, they had no idea where to point me. They were like, Oh, yeah. we think this, you know, we don't know where the resources are. And, and it was up to us to figure out, well, what, what is there, you know, I'll, you know, there's the lighthouses that I've heard you know, connected with people who have sight loss. And the, you know, the lighthouse and nearest one was, you know, hours away. And they said, oh, we'll try your independent living. And even they were like, well, we can get you this, but it was nothing compared to what I needed. So, but, you know, I, I want to go back to what, to what, um, to what Silo was saying about, you know, when you got to approach people where they're at and, and, uh, and that, like when I was in the, when I was at the VA in Chicago here, we got, I got into a group and the VA population tends to be a lot older than, than I am. Um, uh, most of the, the average age was probably about 38, 30 years older than I am at this point. So we were dealing with people who were losing their sight slowly over time, MAC degeneration, age-related sight loss. And, and uh, a lot of them were in denial of it. You know, they, they, they had talked about it. And most of them had this sense of that life was over, that that was it, it was done, I had lost all this. And uh, I had always taken the approach, you know, it was asked to me during that group, what, you know, you know, what have you lost? And I said, I've not lost anything. I've had it all taken from me. And it's yeah. my job to get it back. It's my, it's my goal to reach and scratch and get it back. And so, you know, that, that kind of, that kind of goes with that messaging of, of, you know, I lost my sight, not my life. It just feels like it. And you have to get past that feeling of it. And I think that's the message that like, I want to get out now is to, to reach out to those people who are thinking that their life is over, that, that they're never going to do anything. Again. They're, they're going to sit in a chair in a corner for the rest of their days until they fade into the background Yeah. and to work with them and say, look, it's not, you, you know, what did you used to do? What things made you happy that you could do? You know, uh, there's, there's things that you're not going to be able to do. And that has to come with a realization. You know, if you're, if you're so severely visually impaired that you can't drive, that's a danger to not just you, but everybody else, but you used to, used to listen to baseball. Cool. There are ways to do that. Let's show you how to do that. Let's show you how to regain that portion. Sometimes you get one step in, in regaining what you lost in regaining what was taken from you. And it leads you to one more step and one more thing that you have back. Yes. Can I step, uh, I have a comment. Uh, I agree with you, Tyson, you have to remember, uh, I had to go back and remember what did I do before that I really liked? And one of them was cooking. And yesterday, at, I got a package at the door and I tell you what, I've never been so excited about getting a meat thermometer that talks to you. 
I was jumping <laughs> up and down. <laughs> right? It's like, yay, yeah. I'm not going to die yay. of salmonella. Yeah. <laughs> no Ebola for me. Now, now, I can, now I just have to figure out how to turn it on and off. But I was like jumping up and down. This is great. Look at this. I can start cooking more things and not kill right. anybody. Yeah, but yeah I, just I remember going back going to your, that. Like, how do you do this? Yes, yes, and learning. And if it wasn't uh, for in my beginning year, uh, I got, it was a friend that pushed me into Lighthouse and uh, that's how I became uh, acquainted with Sheila Young and she pushed and uh, went to school and learned. I had an instructor that, like I said, he's also a horticulturist. I'm an amateur, was an amateur little design landscaper. And now I'm back, uh, enjoying my backyard and I get out there and start digging, I lose all track of time. Uh, but it's, what was your passion before? It's still there. And you, there's just different, there's just different avenues to go down to get to it. And that makes, Correct. like I said, that meat thermometer made me so happy yesterday. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just, just because you can't see it doesn't mean what made you happy before. It doesn't still make you happy. Right. You just have to find yeah. a new way to enjoy it sometimes to, to find that happy. Yeah, I'm sorry. You you perfectly verbalized one of my all-time fears, and and is that people won't get the information that they need. You know, like we hear about the lighthouses and things like that. We're going to tuck it away for future reference. If I have a neighbor who goes blind, I'll tell them about the lighthouse, or I'll tell them about this. But then you don't you don't use it, so you don't need it, so you don't use it. You forget it, and so then you've got someone, or it happens to you. Oh my gosh! Now what do I do? And then the other thing that you talked about that sparked a kind of um, something that I wanted to comment on is one of one of the people that I worked with said to me, "I don't want to go to a support group with a bunch of old people. I don't need to learn how to knit." And I said. I don't blame you. I wouldn't want to learn how to knit either. I can't sit still that long. So let's figure out a different <laughs> right. way of going about things. So I'm, I'm really happy that you said those two things that, that sparked that. So before we get done, I would love a chance to just talk about see different. Um, but, but I didn't want to derail the conversation, but I wanted to put that out there so we wouldn't forget it. No, absolutely. And, you know, I, I've told my story multiple times, you know, but the short version is I, um, I I lived across the hall from someone who had been blind from, you know, early in their 20s, who did nothing. She had somebody who came in seven days a week for eight hours a day, made, you know, made sure she had all her meals, made sure medication was taken. She didn't even walk. We had a corner store that was, you know, down one block, down another block and right. You didn't even have to cross any streets and she didn't even walk to the corner store. And for me, that was, you know, when this started happening to me, it was like, I'm not going to be that. I'm not going to be that. So I immediately, you know, went out for O&M, but for that first year and a half, that's, that's the only thing that I, that's the only service I had. And I tell this, you know, not to, you know, not as a, oh, poor Anthony or anything like that. It wasn't until I got to guide dog school. And the only reason I got to guide dog school is because I hated the cane and I knew it was not going to be for me. So I kept bugging my, my O&M instructor who came from a lighthouse in New York, an amazing lady. Um, but my lighthouse experience, unfortunately, was not what some others are. And it wasn't until I got to guide dog school that I heard about so many other, I had never even heard of audio description 
or NLS barred. So, you know, at that point, I'm budgeting as best as I can, you know, buying one or two audio books here and there, you know, a month or so because I just couldn't afford anything more at that point. Um, and then suddenly you tell me about NLS and audio description all in those two weeks and, and so many other things. And it was like, oh my God, you know, I, I felt like Dorothy when she stepped out of the house in Munchkinland and it was like, ding dong, you know, like yeah. look, at all the, look at all the bright colors, so, so to speak, um, you know, and, and that's when, that's when my path really opened up to a super highway. But that's why that's 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 what urges me to continue the this conversation and I, I i was hoping that today was the stage where we can give some some tips and some ideas to people not you know when i say checklist not necessarily do this do this do this do this but how to gauge you know where you are who you are what you need you know and how to how to advocate for yourself so that people folks out there who who are going to go through this and who might possibly be beginning to be going through this now don't go with go don't go through it the way some of us had to go through right. it Anthony, um, uh, can i uh, i just want to say with i mean with all of us here i think once you accomplish something without sight i think it helps the anger drop off a little bit more um you know just learn how to weave around the corner here and do this and do that uh i know for my personal self the anger just started just fading away a little bit more and a little bit more every day yeah i i think you you have to face it you know you have to you have to accept that you actually have it you know you have to you have to call it for what it is understand it and then start to accept it to be able to to move away from it um and absolutely an accomplishment will will definitely send you into the stratosphere uh at least for a little while and then that next accomplishment and the next one you know they they always say that the first step is the hardest you know you're, you're the you're the most afraid before you take that first step it's cliche but it's truth it you is know, true. Until, until you do those things you know some of them seem insurmountable and then you get there and you're like, wow, it wasn't even half as bad as I thought it was going to be. So Sila, <clears throat> you were telling us, um, you were telling us about C, what is it called? C? It's called C different. And my, my mind is, I, I, I just want to say that I hate that for you. I hate that you didn't have the resources that you need. That makes me absolutely sad and crazy and angry, but yes, so, sorry, um, see different. Um, basically the program is um, an outreach of the Florida Division of Blind Services. And the goal is to show, not just tell people, sighted people, how blind people live, work and play and do it with success and happiness and quality of life. And so we've had the pleasure and the honor of speaking to people college classes, churches, daycare centers, um, you know, like first graders, all kinds of groups of people. And it is, we, we try to, again, just like meeting somebody where they are, we try to meet the audience where they are and speak to what they need, whether it, like we spoke to a college class that were pre-med over at UF or just before Corona hit. And we talked about, you know, all kinds of things, blind etiquette. We talked about funny stories like 
um, a friend of mine called in and they said, well, what color is your sputum? And she said, well, I can't see. How do I know? What, what a question to ask somebody. So just all kinds of off the wall um, things that, you know, come up. But we also hope that it creates a safe space for people to ask questions that normally somebody would say, oh, that's a stupid and sensitive question to ask a blind person. No, it's not. You don't know unless you ask. So ask it, you know. Yeah, I, I found, you know, somewhere along the line, somewhere along the way, some of the questions really started to bother me. And, and I had to reset myself and, and remind myself. That for the most part, you know, there are there are exceptions to every rule, but for the most part, people are asking because they want to they want to do and say the right thing. You know, they don't always ask it in a way that feels comfortable. Like, hey, how do you know when you're done shaving? Well, there's no more hair on my face. <laughs> you know, how do you know when you're done shaving? Um, but you know, pulling myself out of my own personal perspective and realizing that's a genuine question. They're asking because you know they 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 see me. I'm not cut up. I'm not wearing a couple, a bunch of different band aids, and they really wonder, you know, how do I accomplish it? So if I'm angry and if I'm putting that out there, you know, that's the energy I'm going to get back. You know, if I take a moment to say, well, I do it just the same way you do, only instead of looking in the mirror, I use my fingers. Um, you know, and every once in a while, I miss a little patch and somebody's got to point it out to me and it's still embarrassing. But, you know, uh, you know, as, as time goes by, those those every once in a while are longer and longer in between. Thank God. What's um, Tom and Tyson, what um, what are some of the interesting and funny questions you got along the way that that made you step out of yourself and say, wait, hold on, I'm not going to take this personally. <laughs> Um, I, I think one of the funniest, it was funny, but it was like, you know, on the other side, you know, I thought it was dumb, but I was in a grocery store with a friend of mine and I, he asked me how, how do we do this? I said, well, you get a grocery cart, I'll hold onto the handle and you pull in the front and we'll go, we'll go shopping. And that worked out quite well. <coughs> Excuse me. <laughs> And we were having fun and we were just laughing and, you know, and I, of course I had my white cane with me and people were looking at us like, how come, how come he's so happy? Um, and we just got, and we got into the checkout line and there was getting people behind me. And I, uh, at that time I, I gave my friend my uh, bank card and he put it in and the checkout girl looked at, you know, asked him real quietly, do you think he wants cash back? <laughs> and my friend looked at her and said, I don't know. Why don't you ask him? So when she asked me, she started talking really loud to me. Mm -hmm. And I said, uh, no, I don't want cash back, but why are you yelling at me? And she didn't know what to say. And the people in line started laughing. I said, that's okay. I said, I'm blind. I can hear you. And I said, just take this. And I thought, I was, okay, just take this as a lesson learned and have a good day. And that's all I said. But I thought it was funny. She was yelling at me. Tyson, how about you? Uh, you know, I mean, I've, I've had so many over the years that I've really kind of lost track of, of which one's probably the only thing that really comes to mind that, that maybe is, is one of those conversations you can only have between two, 
two good friends and he asked me how do i go to the bathroom Mm-hmm. <laughs> except except he didn't use that that polite of a term yes yeah <laughs> yeah so yeah uh I, I, i'm not gonna i'm not gonna repeat that on air so uh but yeah that's that's the thing it's like well the same way you do there's a there's a hospital in new york city it's mount sinai um but it's all it's new york i in ear through mount sinai and i remember you know having to go there in the beginning with someone and, and getting in the elevator and it's it's New York eye and ear. This hospital, it, this place out of any other place that I go should have an elevator that tells me what floor I'm going to, you know? And so the, the second time I was there, I'm, I'm kind of remarking on that with my, with my cousin and we get to the registration desk and the person turns to, to my cousin and says, does he have his cards with him? <laughs> and I was like, sweetie, I lost my eyes. I didn't lose my ears. And I most certainly didn't lose my brain. So do you want to ask me that? <laughs> and she's, I'm, an, I'm, an, I'm, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. You know, you should be. That was when I was still a little angrier. Um, and I did actually say, you know, you should be. But I'm standing right here. And yes, here's my cards. So how long am I going to have to I think that's something, <laughs> but I think that's something that's important that needs to be addressed. Because I, you know, something in the population... Remember, you you mentioned it before that that you know you have to check yourself and say like they're not coming from a place of of you know I don't even know what the right term would be of of being insulting. They're coming from a place of lack of knowledge and yeah. and yes, exactly. we That's have true. to be careful that we're not conveying to ourselves that we're the quote unquote angry blind man or angry blind woman, you know, which then yeah. shines a light because if we're the only people they've been exposed to. Or, or very few that they've been exposed to, they're going to expect that from every one of us. And so we have to really kind of be careful about portraying that image. Um, you know, being, being uh, educators, but not doing so in kind of a smart alecky kind of a way or exactly. even a snappy kind of a way right. where it makes them feel stupid. Right. Because yeah. that's, that's going to reflect negatively upon all of us. Yeah. Well, bring up, you bring up an interesting point, and that is, you know, that everybody comes to the table with something different, and everybody right. brings something different. And I think about that little old lady who wasn't willing to walk to the corner market, but she played a pivotal role in your in your development because you decided you weren't going to be like that. I've I know a couple of people like that, and I'm like, oh, kill me now, seriously. But um, you know, I I think, and the, the other part of it is, you have these paternalistic people who want to take you under their wing and they want to protect you because don't fall down the step and don't bang your head. Let me bang my, you know, like the best lesson I ever learned was tumbling down a flight of stairs. I learned pretty quickly that it's pretty um, okay and a pretty wise decision to use my cane after that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Just glad I I didn't have one of my sighted friends with me because they would have probably like burst into tears and felt all responsible or something like that, you know. And Anthony, it looks like you've got some hands. Um, Sheila has got her hand up. Hey, Sheila, welcome to Sunday Edition. Hello, and hello, everybody. I Hi, hear Sheila. so many familiar voices on this call. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just wanted to say that, you know, when I started losing my vision, um, I was so depressed and angry, but, you know, the anger went away and the depression got worse. And, um, you know, so it's okay 
to deal with those feelings and it's okay to go somewhere and when they start saying well do you want to learn computer do you want to learn braille do you want no just let me get used to being blind first and then i'll deal with learning and let me do it a little bit at a time and i did want to say that when tom first um lost his vision I remember that and it, bless his heart. He has come so far and I'm so proud of what you're doing, Tom. I just have to say that congratulations because you have come a long way. So Thank you. great Thank you. interview, guys. This is awesome. Thank you. Good to hear from you, Sheila. And I and I just would like to say, you know, the other thing that you that you bring to my mind when I hear your voice and writing an article about you is the other thing that I try to keep in mind when I interact with a person is that losing their vision is not the only thing going on in their life. They have other things. I have a lady who um, has two young babies and she had a baby just after losing her vision. So it was like, wow, what comes first? Learning how to be blind or raising your kid, you know, or like you might've lost your parent or you might've gotten a divorce or, you know, so it's like life goes on despite blindness. And there is life after blindness and it can be a very good life. But yeah. you, you also have to choose either to step in and, and move on with life or you're just gonna sit there and the depression gets worse and worse and worse. Yep. So thank you guys, this is awesome. Thank you, Sheila. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I wanna take this moment to say that, you know, it, this is not cookie cutter. What some person experiences in Florida is not what I experienced in New York. It's not what, you know, Tyson experiences in the middle of the country is not what somebody in California, you know, every system, every system is different. Some have some amazing opportunities. Some have a lot of learning uh, to do as organizations, but, you know, I want, I want people to hear this, you know, this will be podcast form. This will be something that we can, you know, we can pass along to, to those that may come into our community where we were. And, you know, the, the big thing that I want everyone to understand, at least from, from my perspective is it's, it, it's, it is okay to be angry. It is okay to be depressed. You know, you have to feel it, you have to accept it and you have to decide at some point what you want to do with it. You know, I don't want to be angry. I never, you know, anger never really solves anything for me. No. I don't want to be depressed. But if I don't feel it, if I don't let myself have the moment, it just builds bigger and bigger. And that's that's what happened to me. I started I started exploding on people and, and uh, you know, unrightly so for little things. Um, and and when I got to guide dog school and all this stuff, you know, opened up for me. A couple of months later, it was like, wow, you know, had I have known, you know, even half of this for that first year and a half, I, I would have been, I was scared out of my mind. I was angry. I was depressed. You know, I would have had so much more confidence, so much more, you know, the goals that I was setting for myself would have been so much more realistic, having, you know, been able to know someone or know a bunch of people that had gone through similar experiences. So that's that's really what I hope this show, yeah. you know, these these conversations do for people. Can I add a there. comment to uh, Please. Uh, what Tyson was saying is that we, sometimes we have to be our own advocate and uh, instruct other people in a nice, decent way. Uh, one thing that really kind of infuriates me is when someone wants to take my hand and pull me along. 
and, or grab me by the shoulders and push me because they think they're they think they're and I got ahead to realize one day they think they're doing the right thing so I just said stop let me show you how to do this let me grab the back of your arm and this is how we do it and then when you go through a narrow passage put your arm behind your back I will follow suit and that's the way to do it and you know everybody has thanked me for teaching even in doctor's offices or uh yeah restaurants they have thanked me for teaching them that and uh but i had to take a deep breath let go of my hand uh but take a deep breath it's like you're right they're not knowing and they're trying to help and that's where we have to be our own you know we have to be the educator at sometimes yeah i heard from you know in a restaurant with a couple of other blind folk um our meal came and 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 the food was all cut up and and some of us at the table were a lot angrier than, than some of us, um, you know, and, and the, the waitress said, basically, well, you know, we have someone who comes in and that's what, that's what we, that's what they do. Okay. But that's what you do for that person. And, and, and I'm so glad that you identified that that's something that might, but that's not the norm We're, you know, we are capable of cutting our own food. Um, thank you for thinking of us, but you know, it isn't the norm for everyone. That's what that person right. expects or needs. Um, you know, and, and she actually turned around and said, well, you know, the only, the only blind people I experienced other than you guys and, and her, you know, is on TV, Mary Ingalls Wilder and, and, and Helen Keller. And I, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and you sit there for a minute and you let that ingest and you realize, you know, we don't have, we don't have the ed education level out there that other dis dis disabled communities have. And that's that's a sad state of affairs as well. And, and I know that ACB is working really hard to, to change that, to put more education out there. But we do have to be the educators. And if we're not, then, you know, <laughs> we, then we're gonna continue to have these experiences. Sila, when, when you are speaking to someone you know, new in the, in the process, how often, or I'm sorry, I should phrase it this way. How often when you have encountered people that are new in the process, um, have these services, have the lighthouses and, and the divisions of blind services, how often are they, are they told or, or given the opportunity that there is counseling, that there is, you know, that there are dedicated people that can help move you through the stages of grief and anger and, and get you to the place where you're ready and open for the technology and the, and, you know, and the, the guide dogs and, and, and moving the skills that you have as a person into your new life as a blind person. You know, in all honesty, I can't really answer the question statewide because there, there is a little bit of a I think a little bit of a lack of consistency with regard to the intake process. Um, but what I, you know, when I have contact with the person, I mean, I go to the table understanding that, you know, we can certainly authorize up to 10 counseling sessions, but until I get to know the person, I'm not going to just put that out there. So a lot of it is, you know, like if they seem like they could use counseling, if they seem like now nah, they're pretty much on the process, that's almost insulting to them. So again, it's like you have to kind of pick and choose what you tell people, I think, sometimes. I do think it's, you know, like, but you don't want to run down a laundry list either. So I don't know what the answer to that is. But I think 
you know, I, I approach people and I say, you know, I don't want to be insulting to you, but you don't know what you don't know. So I'd like to tell you about blah, 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 whatever it is, um, you know, whether it's public transportation or the talking book library services or a white cane or whatever. So um, I'm not sure that I answered the question that you just asked, but that's kind of my approach. I, I think that there is a checklist of sorts when, when counselors go through the intake process. So I'd like to think that they, especially the library and things like that, but I don't know how much counseling is mentioned. Byron, if you don't mind, I'd like to <clears throat> invite you into the conversation because you have you have the the elder perspective. And I heard something recently that really saddened me. And um, the statistic was something like 62% of folks that are aging into low vision or blindness do not ever, um, you know, admit to it, don't, you know, don't classify themselves. And so they, they don't have access um, because of, of their own blockage to, to certain things out there that may help them along the way. Is that something you experience often in, in, in um, your state, you know, working with the state? Yeah, so I work with the state of Minnesota as an assistive technology specialist in the senior services unit. And um, often what I what I hear is, well, I'm not blind, I just don't see very well. And, and that might be true. Maybe they are on the cusp of legal blindness. Um, in the state of Minnesota, we do provide services to people who are not quite in the um, legal blindness spectrum. If they, are, if they are visually impaired but not quite legally blind, we do, we do still provide some services. But more often than not, they are much blinder than they realize. Um, and, and the word blind, oh my gosh, you, you don't want to say that word to someone who is just just has sort of blurry vision you don't you don't want to use that word around them because that's you know in their mind they're not ready for that word yet uh i have heard i have heard people say that um they've they've done studies and they have asked people you know would you rather lose your vision or lose some other uh major uh sense like your hearing or lose a limb and so many people would rather have the worst of the worst you know diseases than to lose their vision because they, like you said, they're coming from a place of, of ignorance. They don't know that life isn't over when they lose their vision. They're, they're coming from a place of when the lights go out, I can't do anything. And so that's the end. I, I might as well be dead. <laughs> um, along, and, that, along that line, Byron, think yeah. about how we're taught from being a child, right? Mm -hmm. Everything in the dark is scary. Don't go out after dark. Don't Per, don't yes. talk to that person in the shadows. So if the lights go out, we're trained from childhood to be scared to death of that. Mm -hmm. Yep. And so that's why, so we're building a fear into ourselves like that. And it's not, it's not, you know, I'm not stating that we shouldn't do that. We shouldn't say, you know, don't, don't go out in the dark because scary things happen when you're in the dark. Right. And, and we don't see things, we don't see things coming up on us like that, but it taps into that fear that we all have, which becomes paralytic at times. You know, you get into that moment where you can't see where you're going and you can freeze. And, and that could be, imagine freezing in the, middle of a, in the middle of a crosswalk because you just become so scared of what's going on. And you got horns going on around you. And, and that's, that then becomes life-threatening. So that's why part of what, uh, you know, what I was saying is, is where do we pick up, where do we get to that? You, you said, great, that 62%, and I, I would probably argue that it's actually higher, 
that they're in denial of it, that they don't, that word blind is just so triggerish, fearful for them. And they don't want to be it. And we, and it was mentioned earlier about, you know, I don't want to go, I'm not blind. I don't want to sit in there with those blind people. I'm not blind. But how do we do that? How do we outreach? How do we, as you know, does that lie on each state individually? Or is that something like ACB to pick up a mm-hmm. program like that or to develop a program like that that says, how do we get to these people to let them know that life isn't over? Or that just because you have this, you have this visual impairment, that there are resources available to you. We have this incredible program with, with ERPS where someone can call and get the resources for their states. But if people don't know about it, if people aren't privy to that through some way, shape or form, <clears throat> that, we need, that we need to get that out there so, so that we can provide that to them. So all this knowledge we're gathering up that becomes a resource for people. Absolutely. And ACB, you know, ACB really wants to be the organization of, of note for our community. And you mentioned ERPS and I'm so glad that you did. I'm actually part of the ERPS committee and <clears throat> we've been putting a lot of work in to, to create a workflow um, for when these, for when calls or referrals come in an actual intake form so that no one gets left behind. Because unfortunately, you know, I, I heard recently, Shannon Lovering gets over a thousand calls a week, right. um, you know, and, and where do you, you know, it, we're designing a workflow so that no one gets left behind anymore. And ERPS, you're going to be hearing a lot from the ERPS committee in the next couple of months so that, and I would, you know, it, it's a resource that becomes the resource, the go-to resource. Correct. And I would ask, I would ask Sila if, if I, if I'm able to, like you talk about the, the people you get at intake and, and what they're like when they, when they come in there. But my question for you is, what is that timeline between the fact of when they lose their vision or they're to a point where they have to do that and you see them? What is that gap? Is that gap a matter of a few weeks, a month, a few months, a year or more? So where are they at in their, in their journey into being visually impaired? I have gotten every spectrum. I got, you know, like one person right after surgery, right? You know, they lost their eyesight in a traumatic accident and right after surgery, but then, you know, before they were ever in, out of the hospital, they were calling numbers and trying to figure out, it reminded me kind of like Anthony said, I got to keep moving, got to keep moving. Get yeah, done. that's, I that's, that's, what I'm, that's what I'm curious about is what is that, you know, that, that infamous question, how did you hear about us? Yeah. Well, it, yeah. in my case, it was, I, it happened November 3rd. Uh, 2017, and I was at Lighthouse Classroom January 18th, following year. Nice. Yeah, I, I like Anthony says, God, I had to keep moving, or I was just going to blow up. But um, and if I remember your story correctly, Tom, but you had someone you knew that was visually impaired that clued you into those resources, correct? I did, and right. that's and that's, that's that's I think what I'm reaching out to is that point of like for those people who don't have a connection. And that's, and that's that? yeah, and this is my question to the three of you. When you're interviewing someone new or doing intake, and uh, I have two questions Does that determine what level they're at at the time? And my second question is Are men that go blind a little bit more apprehensive for help? Because, oh, I, I've talked to a few in 
some of my classes at Lighthouse that, oh, I don't need that. My wife is going to help me do everything. Is that <clears throat> prevalent with men or um, I just wonder how do you determine what level these people are by just do you provide let them know about services and then you can determine what level they need or where they're at? That is a very interesting two questions. Very interesting. So the way I determine level is basically by asking questions and just gut, you know, just person to person, figuring out what they need and how best I can help them. And as far as the men versus women, it is, you know, it's it's very interesting concept. I've always thought that, you know, people playing the traditional man-woman roles, that it's much easier for blind women than it is for blind men because guys are macho. I can do it. I'm, I'm in control. I'm supposed to be the big, you know, the, the savior of the whole thing. I'm the doer. I'm the provider. And so in oh. that, yes, I think it's much easier. And, but I, I, it's, you bring up an interesting point about, oh, my wife will help me. Or what if they don't have a wife? Oh, my mom, a lot of times you hear the mom. So uh, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that one. Okay. I think, you know, it's, it's funny because I think some of us look at certain types of parents and, and this is across, this is across the spectrum completely. You know, I did a lot of work with autistic, with the autistic population before I lost my sight. And you have amazing parents who will set up life um, as best as they possibly can, A, for their other children, because having, you know, having a disabled child takes a lot away from the family, unfortunately. And if you don't have the right balance, it's it's a horrible thing. But also, you know, they want to set up their child to be able to live in the world as best as they possibly can. And then you have parents who will just do everything and and discourage, you know, outside people, you know, people outside the family from, you know, from making comments or or adding to the learning process because they fear what, you know, what their child is going to have to go through. You know, and it's it's hard to get those, you know, those parents. And the reason I say this, because I think people that go, you know, I was single, I lived alone. Um, you know, I, I didn't have a family structure that that was very interested in, in what I was going through. So it was just me. But I think, you know, the opposite when, you, you know, when you have a great family structure, sometimes that that sheltering thing takes way too long for the person, you know, to to come out of that and start to to do for themselves. Um, but that's not that's not a model. I think at the moment that we can that there's much we can do as far as services are concerned. You know, it, it's it's meeting the person where they are and, and hoping through example and conversations like this and other conversations that are happening, you know, hoping that by osmosis, they kind of get it and start to reach out for themselves. I think this is a good moment for us to take that short break. And when we come back, Byron, we will start uh, talking to some of the folks that have questions and comments. The following programming has been made possible in part by the generous support of BITS, Blind Information Technology Specialists. An affiliate of the American Council of the Blind, BITS provides career development for computer professionals. For over 50 years, BITS has been on the forefront of industry, promoting and advocating on information access and technology that improves the quality of life for people who are blind and visually impaired. Learn more about BITS programs and how to become a member by visiting their website at www.bits-acb.org. 
And Sunday edition is back. Byron, who do we have uh, with some hands raised? All right. Looks like we have um, looks like we have Doug waiting in the wings to speak. Doug. Hey, good afternoon. Wonderful presentations today. And Thank hi, Tyler. Um, I, I've had so many uh, thoughts and on the things you've been talking about today that I wanted to respond to. So I'm going to cut it, cut it back. One of the, as an adjustment counselor, and that's what I, my field was, um, one of the things we learned, and one of the reasons the ACB and other organizations are here is that, you know, when somebody first becomes disabled, the tendency is to look at the things that I can't do. What we need to do in the adjustment process is to get that person to focus on what they can do instead of what they can't do. And that, that's where the adjustment really starts to take place. Um, because so many people think they just can't, they can't. Then we need to get them away from that idea that they can't. The, one of the reasons that we have people joining organizations uh, like ACB and, and the local organizations is for that person to be around people who have learned how to do things and that are able to do things and figure out different ways. And one of the things we do as, as instructors and counselors is to help the person to look at the situation and figure out ways to deal with the situation. That's one of the areas that I think that, that that's very important. Um, another comment I want to make, and I think Tom, you had said something about somebody saying dumb things to you. Well, a story I always thought, was, which cracked me up, I worked at the University of Florida for years, and a friend of mine had muscular dystrophy, was in a wheelchair. Well, Rick and I went out to a restaurant, and you know we talk about people doing dumb things, saying dumb things for blindness. Well, Rick and I went to a restaurant, and the waitress came over, and she talked to his wheelchair, or to my dog. She could not talk to him because he had a physical disability. I was blind. She figured she couldn't talk to and so she talked to either dog or to his wheelchair instead of us. So, I mean, it, it doesn't matter on disability if you're different. People have a tendency to react yeah. to that. The other, the other funny one uh, we did at University of Florida, we had a program of working with people in the community to understand disability. And one day I worked with the mayor of Gainesville. Um, who was going to be blind for a day. And I rem always remember one of the questions she said to me is, how do I know what bathroom I'm going into? Mm. Because the, none, of the, none, of the, none of the doors had markings on them. And she said, well, how do I know if I'm going into the right bathroom? And I said, well, open the door. If somebody screams, you know you're in the wrong place. <laughs> <laughs> But, exactly. And you know, what's funny is, you know, and so we, the, the idea wasn't for, and, and this is one of the things we wanted to get across. The idea is not to tell somebody how bad blindness is, but we always had a person have a disability and we work, someone with a disability work with that person to show them how to do things. So instead of teaching or, or having somebody see how bad things are, our job was to teach them that there are possibilities if you're thinking that you can change things. You know, Gainesville, within a few months, Gainesville started putting in tactile markings in doorways. 
Yay. because of what so it was an education type thing so that's one of the, the, the comments i want to make and there were a lot of other things but enough for now thank you yeah and you know it it, it is definitely understanding where you are and what you need you know i i want to go back and finish <laughs> learning braille i i stopped after i learned a through j because you know as as those braille users know that's numbers that'll get me you know room door you know door rooms elevators it's it's enough for now but i want to go back and complete braille education as i go along but the technology and things that are going to get me to work were more important at that moment than being able to proficient proficiently read braille um and and those are those are choices and things that you have to make as you go along byron who else do we have up well thank you doug i'm going to go ahead and lower your hand and thank you for your um thoughts next we have cheryl Hi, Cheryl. Welcome to Sunday Edition. Go Cheryl, on. you are Thanks. unmuted. Uh, hi, there guys. Uh, big hug to all of you of gratitude. Thank you. You're all doing great and um, very informational. I, too, was like you. I was in New York. I live in New York, not in the city, but still, I had no clue. I had no clue what to do. And, and it was when I got to Guiding Eyes that I started asking questions and, and found out more. I found out about it. That's when I found out about ACB. I joined as soon as I got home, blah, 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 blah. And I have no idea. Luckily, I was connected to vocation rehabilitation for um but it had nothing to do with blindness at the time i had lost the sight in one eye and i and i just knew i needed i needed to do i wanted to go back to school and I, so luckily i was connected to them and i had started college again and in a different field and then i have i i don't know i think somebody might have mentioned i just remember walking into the wall and I cried and said, I'm done. And that's when we had phone books and I just pulled out a magnifier and a phone book and I found the lighthouse and I said, I need help. <laughs> you know, it's like, I don't know. And even today, here we are so many years later. Um, what's the answer? Ed there's education, education, education. And, and uh, like Tyson said, um, taking that, that breath because <laughs> So many people, when I ask somebody their name, well, can't you read my name badge? No. And even still, it's just teaching people different s s simple stuff and not getting angry and raging at, at, at people. So it's about information, you know, keep spreading the word. And, you know, I don't know. And, and even guide dog, with guide dog school, I heard it on the radio once. It was never broadcasted again. Nobody even remembers it being on the radio, but about Guiding Eyes Walkathon. And I heard about it, and that's how I found out about Guiding Eyes, you know. But I was a survivor. I was ready. I wanted to do anything to get better. But I, too, with the Braille, I wish someone, the counselors had pushed a little bit more. And I've, and I've told them that in the, now for people in the future, push a little more. Tell, tell people how you, as a sighted person, use Braille in the kitchen. Because that's when I finally said, oh, I'm ready, you know, but I wish I had started sooner, but I wish, I wish, I wish, and here I am, and I just keep on keeping on. So thanks, guys. Thank you. Well, thank you, Cheryl. But you know what? Before we go to another hand, that actually it brings me to 
a point and one of the reasons I wanted to have Sila on the conversation with us. Sila, unfortunately, I think we get, you know, some of us will get to a place where we're dealing with counselors, where we're dealing with um, folk rehab, uh, or we're dealing with lighthouses and other, other agencies out there. And it's not, it's not the services, it's not the approach that we need. Um, what tips can you give us to, to modify that into what you need and or if it really stay, you know, stays stagnant in that place to advocate for yourself for better? Well, I think, I think knowledge is power and all the knowledge that a person can gain, all the better. But, you know, Cheryl brings up an interesting point for me because as you all don't kick me off the show, but I've been blind all my life. And so I can preach to you all day long about how Braille benefits me, but you may or may not find it useful. And it boils down to client choice. So how much, it, it's very interesting to me, how much does, do people think Braille should be pushed? I mean, I am a huge advocate of Braille. In fact, I'm, um, I'm low vision but I wouldn't give anything for my Braille skills. They started out teaching me print and I had to hold it too close and they knew that that would provide other or promote other health problems. And so they stopped teaching me print when my mom finished the process. And so I've, I'm grateful to have both. Uh, but I think, I think that's a really sticky wicket, you know, like how much do you push and how much pressure do you put on people about, what they should do and what they shouldn't do and what they should focus on and what they shouldn't. I'll just say this, what, and this is kind of probably outside the realm of what you were just talking about, but uh, it came, came up uh, in the other part of the show. One of the, one of the challenges that I have is I frequently hear, I can't see anything, but then in those, the conversation goes on, they'll say, I only drive the back roads and I don't drive at night because, you know, I know that I can't do that. And I'm like, what? what? Oh God. Yeah. You know, and I, so I try not to freak out and, you know, uh, so it's like, where, where is the line and how do you gently help someone over that hump to reality? You know, so it, it's tough. It's tough. And I think, you know, you, you, like I never want to try to be, a hypocrite or one of those annoying superstar blind people who can do everything and why can't you do what I can do you know that just mm, that drives me crazy too so again I don't think I answered your question I think I talked in a totally different direction please forgive me no that's okay I I just um I, I definitely want um you know, for us to to talk a little bit about advocating for yourself and and understanding that if you're not you know if you're not getting what you think you need, that is okay. I, I think we get into we get into this place where you know, especially what really bothers me is is low vision um, and optometrists, ophthalmologists. You know, they don't they don't offer the the full range of what's out there. They don't sit down and, and counsel you and, and, and help you to understand what's out there. And so, you know, if you don't, if you don't find your way to a lighthouse or you don't find ACB, you're just, you're reaching out in the dark. And sometimes, you know, even like I said, services can be great here and not so great there. I, you know, this is not a cookie cutter. I'm not talking about everything that's out there, but if you are in a situation where, 
you know, what you're hearing or what you're being offered doesn't, doesn't seem to work for you, or you don't think it's, it's what you need at the moment, you have the right to ask for more. You have the right to speak to someone else. You have the right to go above. You have the right to reach out to another, you know, another provider and see what they have to offer. And I think, you know, we get into that, that fear of the authority of the medical person, the authority of the voc rehab counselor, you know, being the, the end stop. And if we screw this up, we're, you know, we're screwed. And that's not the case. And that's that's a point I definitely want Sunday Edition to 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 uh, you know put out there and 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 help people to understand. You know, there's Thank not so only much. one way to do things. Thank you so much for bringing it back around and, and corralling me because yes, I I echo what you have said. It is absolutely okay to take a different path than what your counselor has set out for you. Maybe they misunderstood or maybe they want their vision to be your vision and their goals to be your goals. And that's not working for you. That's what I'm here for. And as a matter of fact, um, this position at, at one point in time, many years ago, was under client services. Well, they chose to take it, they being Division of Blind Services leadership, chose to take it out from under client services because many times I will take a different approach as the advocate and say, nope, let's reach a compromise or let's take a totally different direction. So absolutely, it is absolutely important that you you know yourself better than anybody else does. So if you're not happy, that's what I'm here for. Byron, let's take another hand. All right. Um, so next we have Margie or Margie. I'm not sure how to pronounce your name, but uh, Margie, you should be able to go ahead and speak. Oh, and I, I, you unmuted yourself and I muted you again. So you're going to have to unmute yourself. I'm sorry about that. Is this friend to the show, Margie Donovan? Seems like it. Um, she has. I can ask you to unmute again, but I'm afraid I'll. Un I'm afraid I'll mute you again. <laughs> I'm just gonna ask you to unmute here. Hang on just a second. Yes, it is. Margie, um, welcome back to Sunday edition. Here I am. Here there I am. There you go. Sorry about that. That's Zoom okay. Fatigue, it is everyone. Margie, and you were right, Anthony. Um, first of all, Anthony. I really want to tell you, this has become my favorite show. Don't tell anyone else though. Um, I, really, I really love this topic. Um, some of you know, I worked in the field of blind rehab with the VA. I started out as a rehab teacher then became a MIS coordinator. I, I have a lot to say, but I'm gonna narrow it in. I wanna answer the question that was asked earlier about men, are they harder to rehab? And my answer is no. I had a lot of spouses say, oh, he doesn't need to learn that. Um, mm -hmm. I, do all the, I do all the cooking. And what I say, we don't know who's going to outlive who, but your husband needs some basic skills so he doesn't end up in a nursing home if you leave first, meaning dying, of course. Um, and that usually enrolled. But something I really want to say here, and I just became aware that our state agency is now doing this in our rehab center. I'm so excited. I think blindness includes the whole family it does whether you're whether you're a mom with children whether you're a spouse um and one of the cool things i think the va offered and tyson might not think so so i, I would welcome he, from from the perspective of a client his input 
But I think the family training program is so valuable and so critical. Um, with that program, you learn under simulation if, you're, if, you're, if your spouse has some residual vision, the same exact things that your spouse learned or significant other, whatever the situation, mom, dad, whoever, that enforces the skills once you go home. And I really wish that these state rehab agencies would figure out a way to do this. And then I just want to address parenting. You know, it's really sad when you work at a rehab agency that serves veterans. And I was the only expert on parenting because I was a parent. And we had six other people in my department that knew nothing about blind parenting. And um, to me, that's a shame. It's really a shame. Who took over when I left and became this? I have no idea because there was nobody else. Um, then one other thing, Braille. Let's talk Braille. Um, I'm going to say, I think Braille is of critical importance. Having been a high partial to a total and not having been taught Braille as a young kid, even though we knew that my eyesight was going to deteriorate. Um, I don't think people know for the most part how valuable Braille is in, in the rehab setting. And if you are a rehab teacher slash VRT, I, I can only speak for the school I went to, but you get one, and I mean one semester of Braille. That's all you get. So I think wow. a lot of sighted VRTs or rehab teachers, VRT is a new term. Um, they don't teach Braille for the most part because they don't know it. Um, if you only get one semester, you know, and then the other thing I'll say about Braille and, um, is that I was just having this discussion yesterday. So many VRTs start teaching Braille with the alphabet. They don't teach pre-Braille skills. And in order to be successful and less frustrated in learning Braille, you have to have pre-Braille skills, learning how to track, learning how to recognize Say if you have a line of Braille C's and then there's an E in there, learning to find that E type thing. And those are all pre-Braille skills that most people don't teach and I think is of critical importance. And the final thing I'll say, historically, the blindness movement, and remember we came from NFB, um, I didn't, but the organization did. Um, the, it's always been thought if you learn um, blindness, you'll be okay, blindness skills. I say, BS, you need to learn the psychosocial aspects of blindness too. And yeah. all of you that have lost your sight, you know exactly what I am speaking of. So fortunately in the VA, they had a psychologist. Um, and I can tell you our state rehab center out here in California, we don't have a therapist, they don't have a rec therapist. Recreation is a whole nother area you gotta learn. I mean, there's so much that a lot of the state programs miss out on. Um, and that's all I have to say. Thank you. And I love this show. And I love your well, guests. Thank you. Well, thank you. You know, they say you learn something every day. I don't know anything about pre-Braille skills. I did start with the alphabet. And when I got to J, it had been, you know, a couple of weeks. And it was like, all right, I, there's so much I have to learn. Um, this is going to take forever. And so yep. at least I know A through J. So let me come back to this. I wonder if having had some of that pre-Braille skills would have made the process a lot easier and maybe I would have stayed with it. 
Um, I want to address something else that you said about uh, the whole, you know, it's the family. And, and of course, you know, being from the LGBTQ community, we, we are, mm -hmm. you know, we're of the, the idea that we create our family as much as, as we're, we have the family that we're given. And I think, it, you know, who's in your world should also be, um, I've advocated recently to, uh, you know, the community calls to Cindy to um, institute, uh, you know, the possibility of maybe having some of the community, like a week, every couple of months for friends and family, where we could center the community calls, you know, the ones that are running um, every week or every two weeks around bringing friends and family into the community calls so they can experience some of the stuff that we're experiencing it, the way we're experiencing it and get, you know, get a sharper, more, um, you know, focalized idea of how we how we deal with the world. We've got some great programming, you know, everything from, you know, talking about losing a, a partner or, or a spouse mm -hmm. to, you know, we even have, uh, you know, we even have a 12 step community call, um, you know, and all the tech training and stuff. And if we, if we devoted, you know, a week every couple of months to bring your friends and family to these calls and, and, and cater the programming around it, I think it would do a huge service. Um, if you guys agree with me, please send an email to to the community email and 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 let them know you think that's a great idea. Margie, thank you for calling in. Byron, who do we, who else do we have? Well, let's take a look at the list here. Um, I'm not seeing any hands up at the moment. I I will um, I will say that one of the things that's hard, you know, teaching people who are newly blinded is uh, sometimes they, they don't want to learn the blind techniques. You know, they, they want to keep using the vision that they have for as long as possible. And I get that, um, you know, because you, it's, it's what you're familiar with. It's what, you know, um, I, I have such a hard time sometimes with trying to convince people to give things like voiceover a try um, because they, they don't view themselves as needing something like voiceover yet. Um, and so you just kind of have to let them make their decisions. It's, it's their life. You know, they, they have to make the decision to go ahead with something like Braille, O&M training, voiceover, things like that. But it, it is hard when they still have the vision to be able to visualize things or, or whatever. Um, and they don't want to take that leap of starting to work on their blindness skills. Yeah, I, I tell a funny story. Um, my, my nephew uh, was at three and a half when I lost, you know, when I lost my sight. I, so two quick funny stories. One, I caught him um, telling his friends when I first came home with Bodhi uh, that Bodhi was, was yeah, to help me find my glasses. Uh, so he assimilated the information in that way. And he was telling his friends that Bodhi's out. And I, I remember thinking to myself, <clears throat> wow, he must think Bodhi's dumb. I've had him for a couple of months and I still haven't found my glasses. But um, same same trip down to Virginia. Uh, he was also trying to make his Samsung pad turn on voiceover because he thought what I was doing with my iPad was so cool, and he wanted the Samsung to do it as you know to do the same thing. So I think you know as we as we put this stuff out into the world, um, you know I read a fascinating article just I think it was yesterday um, in the audio description group on Facebook about how many sighted folks are using audio description. And that, my sister leaves it on all the time so she can cook and take care of virtual school and all that and still be able to follow what's going on on, on certain programming that she's watching. And she has 20-20 sight. 
<laughs> I think yep. the more we expose our friends and family to to what we are what we're going through and what tools work for us and and how they work and and all that make make life a lot easier. Right. education wise going forward. Well, like one of the things that I use to try and entice people to start using things like voiceover, I, I don't necessarily need voiceover to order a Lyft or an Uber because I do have um, some vision. But when I'm with, when I'm with someone who's being resistant about voiceover and they want to stick with Siri and magnification and large print mm -hmm. and stuff like that, what I'll do is I'll just be a little sly and I will order my Lyft or my Uber to come pick me up from their house using voiceover and show them just how much faster I can do it with text to speech rather than sitting there and squinting and, yep. you know, picking and poking at my screen and hoping that I get the right button. Um, and sometimes that works where they're like, wow, that was really fast. You have to show me how to do that. Um, and then going into your audio description conversation, um, you know, sometimes audio description can be a little distracting for sighted people. It can be a little frustrating at first when you hear the description, um, you know, if you're the spouse of a blind person and you hear something yep. happen on the screen before it actually happens, um, yep. or, or you hear the description after it happens, like long after it happens, you are like, when are they going to describe that this thing just happened? Um, so one of the things I, I try to do to convince the spouses of blind people is, hey, you know, if you turn this audio description thing on, then all of those times that you've had to pause the TV and explain what was going on when you don't really know yourself. Like if you're, you're in the middle of a murder mystery and the plot's gotten a little confusing and your blind spouse is like, what, what just happened? And you're like, I, uh, I, 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 I don't know. <laughs> you, you no longer have to worry about that because the audio description is going to take care of that for you. So yes, it's going to be a little weird at first. It's going to be hard to get used to. Um, but man, does it really benefit both you and your spouse because you no longer have to do the work of describing stuff anymore? Yeah. And my sister, my sister said, you know, we're both huge fans of, or it's no longer on, but we were huge fans of the show Scandal. And she caught so many things because of audio description that because the show moves at the pace that it moves, oftentimes, you, you know, you miss a little detail that may be very important later on. And she picked certain things up that she would have missed without the audio description. So, yep. you know, yep. Let's do another hand check. I don't see any hands at the moment. Um, Margie, I, I see that you're unmuted. Um, did you have another comment? No, I did not. I'm surprised I'm unmuted. You guys didn't say anything. I'm cleaning house. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, I was hearing you going, yep, yep. And I'm like, oh, wow, she's, she's in agreement. Okay. Well, I'm yeah, gonna go let me go mute. Go ahead and mute me, please. All right, will do. Um, uh, oh, and I do see another hand. Doug has his hand up. Hi there again. Uh, I wanted to respond to something else has been said. Um, like Sila, um, I've been blind since early childhood. My vision went from 2020 to zero in a matter of a quarter of a second due to a blasting accident. So that the, the fact that I lost my vision as a child, that's a whole new series of adjustment situations that had to be handled. Uh, the second thing I want to mention, and you've, you've kind of talked about it around, but the whole question of losing vision slowly makes for a huge problem for the, for the person. Because as you know, every time you lose a little bit of vision, you go through this whole grieving process and adjustment process to having less vision. But at the same time, 
the person who has remaining vision has the chance to continue to deny that they're losing vision because they do have vision. So it's a whole series of adjustment problems that have to be dealt with. Uh, whereas those of us with no vision don't have that problem anymore. Um, you know, at losing vision uh, quickly like I did to zero, that was a tough time in terms of adjustment, but it was done. Yeah. Yeah, I have to Whereas, say, for me, it was 20 days, um, and it was so rapid that there was no real adjusting to what I had on Thursday, and then what I had next Tuesday. Um, by the right. time like, 20 days went by, it was gone, period, if, and that was it. it. So, but if you look at the person who's lost vision over a period of years, they're constantly going through adjustment programs and, and able to deny the problem. So it, it makes for a tough, to me, it makes for a tougher adjustment program. Doug, how do you see where, where does that intervention lie? Yeah. When you see a person that's losing their sight little by little and they're in denial, where does that intervention lie? That's a good question. I, um, I'm with the Lions Clubs and as a matter of fact, brings up a good thing. We had a person who contacted us for glasses and he was losing his vision. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so we, we discussed this, right? the most, it. We well, the, we, the person we, who's going to tell you you're losing your vision is usually your ophthalmologist, right? Except they you're not don't. seeing well. You're seeing that, but think about how, what an ophthalmologist thinks about someone who's losing their sight or someone who loses their sight under their care. That's their failure. They couldn't save our sight. You know, it, it's interesting to say that because I worked for the talking book program for years, and I remember years ago. As a library, we sent out information about talking books to every ophthalmologist in the state. And we checked back and 90% of them had thrown it away because they saw it as a failure. Yeah, Right. So we have to change that culture. That's something that a program like, that's something that that ACB as a national organization can help develop a program to address that and to go and go into these ophthalmology you know, get people trained up and, and under the right circumstances, send them to talk about what vision loss is like and not to view us as such because it really is a detriment. Exactly. Now, on right. back, back to this you thing know, I mentioned to, about- to intervene the, at the very beginning. Right. Yes. Back to what, what I was saying about this person who had originally wanted glasses. What, what worked in that case is, first of all, he had to deal with the situation. I could give him information, but what- what we ended up doing is showing him how he could do things um, that didn't rely on the little bit of vision he had and teaching him. You know, one of the problems is I, I got a call from his partner saying he's angry, he's upset, and he's taking it out on me, and I've had my fill of it. Well, my job was to talk with him about the situation and what he could do to be able to be more independent, to be able to do things with reduced vision wouldn't would you would you agree though that in that kind of situation not just yourself but also a resource of professional counseling to refer him to to come to acceptance exactly he well and and the other thing is he needed to the lions clubs right so the lions clubs as you know with the amazing work they do on behalf of multiple disabilities not just vision impairment should be should be again something we can do as a national organization is to reach out to those lines club. We have an affiliate. 
Boy, I'm glad to hear you say that. And say, and say, here's, here's how we can help people that you, you know, the people you come in contact with, the people you encounter. Okay. And begin that process of saying, how do we make that, you know, we start, we start from, from, you know, while we may be a, a member driven organization, we have to take the approach of going top down when we're filtering down these, these kind of resources so, you know, we reach out to the big, to the big regional Lions Club, and then they, they eventually filters down to the locals. Well, I think part of say, the pro- like, how do we do that? How do we implement a training or, or a breakout right. session during their big conferences? On well, I think, one, I think one and of the we concerns. we could be part of that conversation. Right. I think one of the concerns, though, is instead of, or in addition to being a site-saving organization, it needs to be an organization that deals with the situation where you can't save vision instead of instead of focusing on you need to get your vision better right it's adjustment and it's not yeah. only as as sila mentioned before about family it's not only the family it's the people around that have to understand and be able to accept the person i think i think there's a lot of a lot of things that go along with that 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 acb is a national organization can get behind for example i know that that most people if you go looking for someone who is a uh, who's a therapist who deals in the field of sight loss or vision loss there's very few of them good and luck. so yeah. and so yeah, we good luck could again we could talk and begin these begin the process of finding ways to outreach to these programs to these schools to colleges and universities through the through the large organization let them filter down but we start saying, how can we get people who are akin to disability loss of, of sensory loss psychology to get them? So we get more of these people in there. You know, there's there's a lot that can be done. And, and, and I think I think ACB is is in a position where we could really innovate this whole thought process. Yes. Yeah, I think those of us, you know, that that are now in this for a while, whether it be from, you know, from a young age or born, born blind or, you know, a couple of years in, we should be going back to to our providers and reminding them, you know, of of the responsibility, you know, especially ophthalmologists and, and optometrists that, hey, you know, low vision services exist and, you know, other other avenues are out there. And hey, you know. Talk to your folks, you know, that are slowly losing their sight about the possibility of getting this Braille instruction for for when they don't have it. And hey, you know, talk to your folks about the the various programs that are available and talk to your folks about voiceover and talk back on on the Android and 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 get them immersed in what's coming so that it's it's you know, so that it's not so it's it's not so you know revolutionary so to speak of an idea when you know when you finally get to where you need it yeah. Yeah, and, I, and if they're more in the practice those that are like us tom tyson myself you know that it happened in a speed in so short of a space if they were more in the practice of understanding and and, and talking about and providing that information you know it would go a lot simpler for those for those of us that lose it you know suddenly period it's gone and Thank I was, you for the insight that ophthalmologists and optometrists consider it a failure. I, I don't know that I'd ever thought about it in that vein before. And those are the offices that C Different absolutely loves to reach out to because, as someone mentioned, 
a while ago, they should know better than any, but they know less than most. So thank you for that insight. They, that, that's kind of what I was getting to you Brian. earlier about, about these, are the, these are the people who should be making the referrals. Say, okay, yeah. so you're losing your vision. Here's an, here's an organization that has resources for you. I'll see you again yeah. in three months, but here in the meantime, contact them and see what they have to offer you or what they have. Yeah. I was very yeah. fortunate in having an ophthalmologist here in Orlando. Uh, he sort of saved my eye before the accident happened. He was very disappointed. I mean, he was very hurt when I came to see him and he set me up with Bass and Palmer and uh, University of Miami and uh, that didn't work out. So I went to see, you know, talk to him and he did he has brochures for Lighthouse in his office, in his waiting room. He uh, sat down and talked to me about, uh, you know, your friends are probably going to walk away. Your family's not going to know how to deal with this. So be prepared. Um, and he did even admit, and I'm so, he said, I am sorry, but I just don't know right now any mental health services that I could recommend. And uh, I thought, well, thank you for that information, but that's kind of sad also. I think, you know, one thing the pandemic has shown is that, you know, the, the mental health, the structure of mental health services in the country, period. Forget about disability, forget about, you know, domestic violence or any, any one specific targeted situation. Mental health services, period, are so severely lacking in the country. And we have to, we have to hold to a better standard you know, for ourselves, for our loved ones, you know, and for, for our community. Um, and since we're talking about being blind, you know, and, and losing sight, we, we have to advocate more for the availability and for, and for the first responders in our situations, which would be optometrists and ophthalmologists to have more education and to have more, you know, resource friendly available, you know, availability of resource in, in these offices. Byron, let's do a hand check real quick. All right, let's see if we have any hands up. Um, I don't see any at the moment. Sila, if you don't mind, and again, you know, we're, we know that you're not speaking for the state of Florida or, or anything, but um, do you think that the model itself is, is ready to grow into understanding that, you know, that we need more outreach and more education from, from an organization like ACB or, or, you know, partnering with some of the other organizations to make a national push for the things that we're talking about today. Would the model support that? I think it's getting there. I think it's come a long way. I think it has a long way yet to go. Um, but I know that they, that Di Division of Blind Services uh, embraces and leans on the consumer organizations a lot more than they used to. Um, from what I understand, there used to be a conflict of interest policy uh, where if you worked for the division, you couldn't hold an office in any of those uh, organizations. That's no more. So I'm very thankful for that. Um, I, as I say, I think we've got a little ways to go yet. Um, and funding is the tricky part. You know, I mean, we, it's, it's, it all boils down to money and that's very sad, but it's, it's a fact. 
I was on a community call recently where someone who who recently came to the ACB community um, had said, oh, my God, I, I didn't realize that all these calls were going on and that you have all these committees. I've heard of ACB a few times, but I didn't really have any information. And, you know, when I was dealing with my voc rehab counselor and, and when I was dealing with O&M, no one told me anything about ACB. And I'm so glad that I got here, that, you know, I'm paraphrasing, but basically because all these calls are happening and she had been learning so many different things and, and opportunities were opening, opening up left and right. I think we've got to make a bigger push as the consumer organization, you know, towards friends and family, towards professional services to, to let, that, let everybody know we're here and we want you. <laughs> we want to be a resource for you. We want to share, you know, that's what that's what this Sunday edition is all about, making sure that anybody who needs to hear what we're saying gets the opportunity to hear it. Tyson. I'm sorry. Uh, go ahead. What was the question? Uh, I had asked Stella, you know, did, do, does, did she think that the model is strong enough to support a big push for education? And how, you know, how as a consumer organization do we rally around and get that education, you know, pushed forward to optometrists, ophthalmologists, uh, rehab services and things? That's a very interesting question. Um, and I don't know if I have an answer right off the top of my head. I, I think, again, if we can, we can look at this from what we have the ability to do and we could start to, to organize something like this along the lines of, uh, of a national push or along the lines of a state push. So for example, you know, FCB could form up uh, a committee to educate and figure out how to push this program or to push our services, so to speak. And I, I hesitate to use the word push, but to inform, go to these, go to these conferences where they have, you know, ophthalmologists, they, have, they all have to go to these, these, you know, these conferences for CEUs to renew their licenses with the state every year. They have to have X amount of education. And there's no, uh, there's no reason why we can't figure out how to get in there to do a presentation about such a, such a you know, uh, of a catchphrase of like, you lost your sight, not your life. Or yeah. we're, we can be your success, not your failure. You know, something along those lines that can literally educate them and say, here's this, and then looking to see how we can find a way through grants, uh, to grant funding or something like that, to come up with some type of a, of a um, material that we could then give to them and, uh, and uh, again, come up with a system of follow-up like was done before of saying, you know, how... You know, we, we sent out this material to you, you know, please don't forget that, you know, as people are going, uh, losing their vision to, to give them this information, to put this in their hands so that they have the ability to start to figure out how to deal with this. You know, we actually have the material, if you think about it, all of the community calls, all of the programming on ACB radio, we've had one and we're about to have another virtual convention all of the different state right. conventions, you know, if we put together a package of some of the, you know, the greatest highlights of, you know, of that programming and, and disseminated it to. We, we to, actually have, we actually have that. If you, if, you know, from leadership conference, we had that little five minute video, the highlights of 2020. 
Yeah. That's an amazing video that was put together. Yeah. And, 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 if we, and just to be able to point a link scale, to ACB, uh-huh. to, you know, to the YouTube site and say, here's this, take a look at this. Right. Yeah. And that's just one, one year in the life of ACB. But so Sila, okay, I'm sorry, finished. I, I will just finish it up with one thought that, that has to be really considered is when you're dealing with most, you know, every ophthalmologist, I, I honestly don't know of a blind ophthalmologist out there. Um, that would be an interesting and kind of humorous uh, take on it. But uh, if you were to, you know, to look at that, they want something that they can put in your hands. When I lost my, my, when I lost my vision, I got a pamphlet. Yeah. And, and yes. my first thought was like, what do I what do? What am I going to do with this? Yes. So, <laughs> th- but that's, but here's the thing is that's what they want. So you could, so you can give that pamphlet to a family member, a friend, a spouse, whoever's going to take that to them. And there are other things that, that I've got cooking inside, inside my brain as to how we can approach that, you know, to the, to get those things, you know, things like QR codes. Harness technology. Sorry. Go ahead. I'd just like to put you back on what you just said, just while it's in my mind. I'm sorry to interrupt you, Anthony. I, I, the other fear that I have is of overwhelming people because when I first talk to them, I'm just so, I'm bursting to give them all this information and to give them like this blind 101 course. And so I, I, you know, the, the thing I leave them with is, you know, don't let this be our last call. Call me back, you know, because it's, I, I can only imagine when you lose your vision, number one, the, the adjustment, but all the, I mean, there's, it's almost like too much information out there. And where do you even start? It's like a, a, a disorganized shed and you've got everything everywhere. And where do you put this? Where do you put that? And how do you make it work for you? So I can imagine that would be very, very overwhelming. So yeah, I, yeah I, it's trying right. to organize it and present it in a meaningful way. That's that's why I think that that it, that it's it's you know it's imperative that it, you know we we have this talk on a national level and and to involve the states because each state's going to have a little different different spin of what they can do and and how they can access um, you know the, these resources to you know or to the access say like the conferences or, or to their local ophthalmologist, there's, there's ways to do it. And it's just a matter of having that conversation and starting it. And it's not going to happen tomorrow. It's not going to happen this year. It's, it's going to be a long developed program that, that I think could bring huge amount of value. If, if we get the right thought leaders in there to kind of start cooking it up and, and back to what you were saying. Yeah. The, overwhelming is, is, is the, is the key word, you know, I don't want to use the analogy of the the frog in the cold water boil, you know, set to boil as opposed to just it's already boiling. They'll jump right out and go running. Yeah. So I I kind of want to ch- change the trajectory of the conversation for a moment, and you know it is it is going to be the elephant in the room, but a lot of the voc rehab services and and other services that are out there are very work oriented. Um, and they should be. I, you know, I'm not saying that that's the wrong approach. I, I think that, unfortunately, some of them, and, and again, I will state that, you know, not every state, not every agency is the same, but some of them get so fixated into the model of we've got to put a person, we've got to put this body in a job, um, in it, it, to the detriment of, of being able to find that space of, of 
being comfortable with yourself, being being comfortable with your vision loss. And, and so I'm wondering at this, you know, at this juncture, when do you know that someone is is actually ready to go back to work or go into work? You know, what, what signs do you look for as, as, as the professional that says, okay, this person has, you know, done well with, with the skill set. They've done well with accepting where they are and figuring out who they are going forward. Um, and now, you know, now it is a great time to, to get them into the work world. I think a lot of that comes from the person themselves, you know, again, they know themselves better than any, well, you know yourselves better than anybody. And a lot of it depends on where they are in the process, you know, of the grieving um, situation. Um, but you, you're indeed right. You know, the, the funding is such an issue. And so if someone doesn't say the work word, the employment word, that magic word, they get put into a different kettle or a different service pot, if you will, and may miss out on very important services. And so it's it's almost like guided conversations, so to speak. And it's walking a delicate balance sometimes, you know, say these words, <laughs> use this language, you know, type thing, um, because it is one of those unfortunate facts of life. Um, and I, I, but I think, you know, you, the person knows when they're ready, they, you know, I'm ready to resume my, my position in society or take up another challenge or that type of thing. So I don't know that there's any magical equation to that. Is there a, a verbiage for you know those of those of us that are coming into this that you know that says hey you know I know I'm not ready right now and I know I'm probably not going to be ready in six months but I need these things because I do want to be ready in a year or two years to go back to work and without them I'm never going to get there. I think the want to is the magic and that if you want to be educated if you want to be employed again. I'm not ready right now, but I want to. I think that's the magic word. So many people who have just lost their vision, I can't work. I don't want to work. You got to get them past that. You're not going to get me past that. I'm <laughs> <laughs> I, I just, I, I have, I'm glad this came up. Uh, I've talked to an, uh, a number of blind and visually impaired people here in Orlando, you know, the ones that work at Lighthouse Works. Uh, and the consensus of the opinion was with vocational rehab, a lot of them said, and I would, I'll attest to this also, that they just want to put you in a job and check you off and next, and they put you over here in this job. Maybe you don't want that job. You want to go to work, but you don't want that job. Uh, it just seemed like it was a production line. And I got a phone call, uh, from Division of Blind Services wanted to know if I would take a job at a McDonald's drive-thru. I was like, no. First of all, I don't know where, I, can, I have to find it first. But it's just, the consensus was they were just putting you in jobs just to make their job look better. And that's, I think that's, that's one of the uh, issues that we need to work on is like, like you said, find out where the person is, find out what, what level they're ready to go. Like, you know, 
uh, like Anthony, I think you could go back to work any day. You're you are smart. You're you're a go getter. I think you could go back to work anytime you want to. I mean, but you're right. Be ready for Fine. it. <laughs> skills. Yes. yes. I hear that a lot. I hear that a lot. And I really appreciate you verbalizing that because I also hear, though, I, w I just want a job. Once I get a job and get my feet wet, then I can, you know, build my confidence back up and I can, you know, get my foot in the door and then start climbing the ladder again because I was this, but now I'm back down at the bottom and I feel like I'm just starting out the workforce, you know, so I, I hear it from both sides, but, but mostly, honestly, I hear what you're saying. And I, they just want to put me to work and get me off their roster. And I, you know, I wish I knew what the answer is to that, because I know that there is a push for successfully closing a case. And I yes. get the quota, um, but I hope that I never come across being that way. I don't I don't think a person like you would ever come across being that way, but I can yeah. definitely attest to, you know, I was in a, in a position where I was making a high seventies plus bonus, managing a team, writing, editing all, you know, and, you know, when I finally got to Vogue Rehab there, they, you know, I, and it took a while for the person to finally admit, we don't know what to do with you, you know, and, and being told it's, it's so disheartening being told you're overqualified for the call centers and this and that, and, you know, you're not going to be happy here but we don't know what to do with you. We don't know where, you know, what else to, you, you don't quite have the skills to go back to doing what you were doing. Um, it, it's hard to modify what, you know, what you have skill set into something that you can do now. And we have no idea, you know, how to help you bridge that gap. It, it is extremely disheartening to, to get to yeah. that space. I, would um, I have definitely come to terms with, you know, I'm not going to make, uh, I, I'm not going to walk in making the high seven days, no matter where or what I do at this point. You know, I had built a career, you know, to the point where I got to that, you know, I'm going to have to start mid-level, if not at the bottom somewhere. And that's where I am right now looking, you know, I, I'm applying all over the place. You know, and most of it, you know, most of it is on my own. Um, the Vogue Rehab Services just don't know what to do with me. Right. So here's here's an interesting, as I'm listening to this conversation, I'm kind of, my my gears are churning and thinking about, you know, what we're, what we're talking about. Because I know when I first started with Vogue Rehab, um, I knew what I wanted to do, but I don't know if that was, the, and I knew later on after going through you know, a year worth of schooling and all that kind of stuff that that was not going to be the right thing for me to do. So my desire versus my reality was two different things. And we have people who yeah. are just, who just want a quote unquote, a job just to kind of get their feet wet. What about something? And again, this would be on a state level and local level trying to do this, but what about like a job shadowing for, for people who are visually impaired? So you want to do this job. Okay, cool. Let's set you up and we begin partnerships with entities that are in that field that they want to do so let's say yeah they they want to be they they want to work you know they, they want a job at fast food okay cool let's let's send you there to shadow it for a day to see if that's something you can do and it has a twofold effect it has a it has a byproduct to it the first thing is obviously it gets the person kind of an idea of is this really what they want to do and secondly, it gets the public exposure to people who are visually impaired and what they can do. I like that very much. 
and it doesn't cost anything. It costs the time to set up, to take the time to call people and set up these partnerships. That's a great idea. That is a great idea. You know, I'm sure we would get for certain industries, insurance pushback and things like that, but there's gotta, you know, there's gotta be a start level, a start point somewhere and building, you know, building that program would be a program in that vein would be amazing. Let's Byron, let's take one last look to see if there are any hands. Um, and then I want to give um, Tom, Sila, and Tyson an opportunity for some last thoughts. Byron, you as well. Um, I do see uh, Margie's hand is up, but I don't know if that's from before or if she has a new question. I am unmuted, correct? Hello. You are. Okay. Welcome back. I want to say a few things. All right. uh, Tyson, you have a, a wonderful idea. Unfortunately, it's not a novel idea. We already do it with blind youth. So why not do it with blind adults? Um, the other thing, that's such a stupid thing that we haven't done yet. I'm sorry, but we do it with our youth all the time. Um, I'm going to go back to the topic of eye doctors. And I'll just clump them in, ophthalmologist and optometrist. You know, I'm going to tell a very quick story because I know we're out of time. I worked with an ophthalmologist at the VA who was ahead of my VIS team, had worked with VIS since he came to the VA, worked at UCSF, knew about blindness, knew about all the stuff. And he was working with a private client up at UCSF who was losing her sight. And he was telling me about it. And all she wanted to do was read. I said, Dr. Stanley, what about a video magnifier? He goes, oh. I can't say what he said, but I'll say, oh, dang, I didn't even think of that. I was so concerned about the health of her eye. So I think that's important. I used to do trainings up at um, UC um, School of Ophthalmology, but I'm going to tell you, none of that matters. They are so overwhelmed when they're in school, they're in med school. I, I, I want to tell you the most valuable thing I've ever, ever, ever seen is people going back to the ophthalmologist who said, I'm sorry, there's nothing more I can do for you. And showing them all the tricks and trades that they learned and saying, hey, next time, instead of throwing someone out on their nose, would you please at yeah. least do this and do that? It, it's that personal testimony that's going to get us a long way. But I'm not giving up on the idea about the professional conference and CEUs on this. Thank you. All right, Sila, Tom, and Tyson. Any last words for this conversation? And hopefully you'll all join me a month from now to continue this conversation. It's been my pleasure and my honor to join you today and absolutely I'll be back. And thank you to all the people who've given me such great ideas. I have a laundry list of to-dos now and thank you for the <laughs> insight. So, uh, wow, yeah, very, very good conversation today. I've enjoyed it. Thank you. Tyson? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to the next one. Um, probably my big thing right now is, is, uh, you know, I'd love to continue this conversation and there are so many different ways. Uh, I've got Twitter, uh, Tyson 717 on that on Instagram and clubhouse. If you guys want to, or if you guys are in clubhouse, we actually have, uh, it's actually, I'm actually pleased to announce that we actually have club ACB on clubhouse now as of, uh, uh as of yesterday. So I've got to go check gonna, that out. Yep, we're going to be nice. doing some fun things. And that's, this would be a great conversation to continue in one of those clubhouse rooms. 
So, uh, so check it out. Um, you can, you can come on there and follow me and, and we can continue this conversation. All right. I actually want to do a Sunday edition around Clubhouse on the 28th of March. So maybe you'll come back for that. And then the following uh, gra- week we'll grab continue. Me and, and, and Jeff and Kelly and a couple others. Awesome. Great. Wow. So wow. we will be back with this conversation um, the first Sunday of April. Thank you so much for listening to Sunday edition. Tom, I'm so sorry we ran out of time, but you That's know okay. I love you. Go check out his fun zone this evening and we'll be back next Sunday with another amazing conversation featuring Ira. You've been listening to Sunday edition with Anthony on ACB radio mainstream for more information, questions, comments, feedback, suggestions, etc. Please email celebration AC. That's the word celebration with the letters AC at AOL.com. Look forward to hearing from you and let's brunch again next Sunday.